It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Hi, Alexis. Hey, Melissa. I have a question for you. Okay. I kind of forget. How did you meet Wes? Like your husband, Wes, in case people don't know. Uh, (laughs) Well, we apparently we met in college, but I don't remember. I went back to U of A for homecoming and because, you know, it's a big deal for everyone to go back. And my best friend, Aubrey, was there and I was staying with her and we were going out to drinks. And I actually saw a picture of Wes in her room and I was like, oh, that guy's so cute. She looks at me. She's like, don't even think he's cute. He's a total player. He has like three girlfriends. (laughs) He's a wild hockey player. So... Of course, thought nothing of it. We because go, you were kind of wild, so she, you probably were like, oh, good, right up my alley. Like, Perfect. At that time, I think I had a couple, I had one in every port because I was traveling <laughs> for work so much. And I remember we go to old Chicago, and this is the days before Uber. Like, you had to take a taxi or, you know, your friends picked you up or whatever. So we drank too much at old Chicago, and we're like, shoot, we don't want to take a taxi. For some reason, I don't know why we didn't want to take a taxi. So we called, like, everyone in her phone, and, of course, the only person that picked up was Wes. And so we went back to her casita, hung out. And the rest is history. The rest (laughs) is history. And now I have twin boys and uh, another boy. And Yeah. 16 years later, which is crazy. That's crazy. So you met through a friend, basically, right? Basically through a friend, yeah. So I also met my husband, Mark, not through a friend, but at a bar. You know what's crazy about that is, like, do you hear of anyone meeting in bars or even meeting through friends anymore? It's, like, super rare. It is super rare. And it's definitely, like, not nearly as often that you hear that happening than you hear people meeting through, like, dating apps or sites right now. Correct? Yeah. I feel like I have so many friends that met through dating apps and are getting married and love. It's awesome. Well, when I met my husband in 06, like people were quote unquote dating online, but it was not nearly as normalized as it is today. I mean, I even remember a few people I knew who were dating online. They never actually wanted to admit they were at that time. Yeah. And one friend who I will not name right now, but I'll tell you offline, actually totally fabricated her love story once she got engaged to her now husband because she didn't want people to know that she and her fiance met on a dating site. Really? Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. And I I feel like people know now, but like in 06, 07, 08, like it just, it was at least in our age group, it just wasn't very. Yeah. It was kind of like for, we were like, oh, it was kind of for older people. I felt like, I mean, sorry, mom, but like my mom, when she was kind of looking to do like professional dating sites and like that, like it just was like not a thing that young 20 somethings did. Did. Yeah. So. Today, we're talking about a little thing called love, in case you didn't catch on already. Okay. And how we have found love over the past few decades has changed drastically 
Online dating, as we said, is totally normalized. And there are like so many options in 2021. We have Tinder, we have Bumble, we have Grindr, OkCupid, Hinge, Plenty of Fish, eHarmony, and like so many others. There's sites for farmers. There's actually sites for clowns who want to find love. It's called clowndating.com. That's a thing. There are gluten-free single sites. There's even a dating site for people who love mullets. I cannot even make it up. It's called (gasps) Mullet Passions. Oh my God. I have to look that up. So like if you have a fetish, if you have a hobby, if you have a religion, a way of life, like there is a dating site for you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in case you are planning on getting back on the market, (laughs) now you know. (laughs) Um, No, I just like playing. Chelsea has it and I'm like, this is so fun. I would be, it'd be dangerous for me. It's like shopping for men. Oh, you're yeah. literally just like scroll and you're like, yes, yes, yes. Put them in my cart. <laughs> oh my gosh. It kind of is like that. Uh, there is one dating site though that started it all back okay. before swiping left or right was even a thing. And it was the first dating service to bring love to the interwebs. 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 And it was match.com. Today, we're going to focus in on how Match played an instrumental role in making online dating acceptable, like common, and I mean, cool, I guess in some ways. I mean, today in 2021, like our employees talk openly about dating apps they use and our friends do and our parents do. And it's like a thing that is so normal, but it's crazy if you think about in 1995, when Match.com launched, how unnormal it was and how different the world is today. And like, they, oh, yeah. they played a huge role in it. So, like I said, in 95, when the match story begins, it was a totally different world. I mean, the first challenge the company faced was a big one. They had to make people embrace internet dating. It was weird. It was new. And there were like definitely perceptions of the kind of people, like in air quotes, who would meet online to find love. It was like... Oh, yeah. I totally remember. Stigma. So the brand's marketing director at the time of launch, her name was Trish Mayer, was quoted saying, we had to evangelize for online dating, not just for Match.com. Like we had to build the market for this category, basically. And it's true. I mean, Match, you know, wasn't the first way that people looked for love in non-traditional ways. I mean, there were versions of personal ads going back all the way in like to the 1700s or earlier, which was so cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah, like in newspapers or bulletin boards or I don't maybe like that thing that we watch on um, Netflix that we binged. Oh, Bridgerton? Bridgerton. Like, remember how they have the newsletter? Like, oh, I yeah. picture that, like, personal ads in that. There were matchmaking questionnaires in the 50s. Like, I kind of envisioned, like, the Cosmo quizzes. I don't know where they posted them, but that existed. There was dial-in dating bulletin board systems in the 80s. And there was even an early version of online dating through CompuServe, which is actually how Rush Limbaugh met his third wife, which is so random. That was in the 80s, yeah. Okay. Uh, But Match.com is known as the first player to bring dating online. So when it launched, people actually, this is really funny, they didn't have like digital pictures of themselves. Like all these things that we take for granted now, like they didn't have, like they didn't have digital cameras. Oh yeah. So like they had to snail mail fax or scan snapshots to match.com. And at the time, most people didn't have scanners in their homes. So they would go to Kinko's to accomplish this. And match.com came to realize this trend at lunchtime because it was all professionals using the site at first. They would get bombarded at lunchtime with like scans of headshots of people and it was or faxes and they were all going to kinko's at lunch to do this oh my gosh how crazy isn't that funny 
So Match was founded by a guy named Gary Kremen, and he first started the company. It was called Electric Classifieds, and originally Match.com was a division of that company. And he founded the company as like a meeting place for older professionals looking for long-term relationships, like initially. Okay. And the whole founding story is super interesting, but this is already, I I had so many problems cutting this episode back. So like, that's the most I'm going to tell you about the founding story because it's just like, there's way too much. I really want to go into the marketing. Like I said, when you have to change perceptions, just like the Lucky Strike episode we talked about where like Lucky Strike cigarettes wanted to normalize smoking to sell to women, you're changing a whole culture. And that's what Match.com did. Okay. So right out of the gates, the company knew they had to appeal to women who only at the time when the site launched in 95 only made up 10% of their initial user base. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they knew the men would follow the women clearly. And one of the smartest moves that Match.com made like early on was hiring a female marketing director and a female PR director. Smart. So the marketing director, I already mentioned her name was Fran Meyer. And then the female PR director was Trish McDermott. Both women helped guide the site with a female-centric approach. So, like, they helped make sure the design of the website, the messaging, all of those components were focused around making females comfortable. So that was critical. Like, it wasn't just about the campaign. It was like – and I think that's important to remember because marketers often – I think clients come to us sometimes and think like, okay, you do the campaign. You don't need to worry about the operations or like the verbiage or how we're doing this. But like when marketers are really the best at their jobs, we can make a huge impact on making the company successful by giving input into the look and the feel or the verbiage or Or the the service offerings. Yeah, totally. And so that's what these women did. At the time, there were lots of singles chat services with like sexy names, like one was Sexy Modem, and one was Fantasia Services Unlimited. And it was just like a chat? Oh, yeah, like I kind of remember dial that. Dial-in, like... No, there were those, like... The chat rooms. Chat too. rooms, yeah. yeah. There were those. And Match wanted to promote itself as the safe, anonymous, and friendly option. And many women did find that the anonymous component was what totally enticed them to turn to Match compared to, like, traditional personal ads. Okay. Because Match actually gave members anonymous email addresses that would forward to their real ones. Remember the year 95? Like you couldn't just go on Gmail and get a free email address. Like it was a little bit harder to get an email. So people didn't have these like random anonymous emails. So the fact that Match did this was was a game changer. Yeah. You know, and keeping these women anonymous. Which is kind of creepy. Like what if someone... I mean, the anonymous email. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, now it's so different. But um, so that was a big deal. The other thing that was a big deal that these ladies were instrumental in doing was they wanted to make sure women knew that potential matches would not be alerted when you browse their profiles because that was a fear women had. They were like, I don't want people to know. I don't want this guy to know how many times I've checked his profile. Yeah. So that was important. Also, Fran, the marketing director, she pushed super hard against a proposed revenue model where users would pay per message because she said women would feel like you're putting a price on them and like you're trying to buy them. And that was like not the right approach to get them introduced to this new Yeah, this new way of this new way of dating. She also firmly vetoed a proposed profile question asking women and men to share their weight. So instead she started she called it body type, and that's what everyone kind of uses now. Interesting. Yeah. They put that on there? They always put body type. So, like, you might do, like, athletic or, like, curvy or, like, fat. fat. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you picked that. But, but like, at least it's a way, you know, to, like, share that information without saying, like, I weigh 125 pounds or whatever. You know? Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. 
It is. Well, I guess then people don't get like, they claim that they put like fake pictures up there and then yeah. when you meet in person, it's totally, it's totally different. different. All the catfishing that was going on. She knew, both these women really knew what women would want and what they would be like vehemently against. In order to really launch the brand right, Trish and Fran used PR as their major initial tactic. And this was so smart. Like before they did any crazy ad campaigns or anything. Okay. Why do you think it was so smart? Well, because I feel like people were reading and, you know, it's more credible. They're, I bet they were telling real stories, they right? They were, yeah. totally. So like I said, like they weren't just trying to get people to sign up for Match.com. They first had to show that online dating was safe, viable, and like not just for weirdos. And people like buy into the love story, yes. right? They love that. Totally. And so these women, so Fran, the marketing director, would appear in the media on local and national TV stations discussing Match.com safety features, comparing it to the better alternatives, like to the harassment and the horrific experiences that women had dating through other means. And Match quickly became the media's go-to source because they were always available and they newsjacked the heck out of any like any, love story anything. or yeah. And like you mentioned, they used their most photogenic or like telegenic, you know, users to appear in these national news stories, like sharing their early love stories. And it worked. So like they positioned themselves as we're the experts in online dating and they were. Yeah. Isn't match. I mean, the whole part of match was, didn't you like take a questionnaire and it, it shows you like who you match with? Do a lot of these dating sites do that? Yeah, I don't think... I, I think some of them use similar formulas like yeah. now. But I, I mean, I never was on any of these, so I couldn't tell you the unique differentiators. But yeah, like the whole premise was that there was a matching formula. I think because I remember like setting it up with someone and I got... so I was like, oh my God, this is exhaustive. It was like five or six pages of intense questions. Yeah. But that's kind of cool because the algorithm puts you together. Totally. And it's not like you're just you already know that you like those people. Totally, you know? yeah. So, I mean, they were all over the news and this worked to educate people and get them comfortable. And then when the site introduced membership fees after a few months in, because initially, I think, I'm assuming it was free for yeah. the first couple months or whatever, they would always still provide free accounts to journalists who were covering the site, which is, I mean, necessary. You should always do that. But what's so cool is that it was super common for these reporters who are writing about the site to actually meet someone on Match and fall in love because it worked so yeah. well. Yeah, oh, cool. So, like, talk about the most ideal firsthand account, like, you could just dream of for a reporter to have, and then they're sharing that story, and it's, like, so insanely credible because it's real. Yeah, and they're, and they're passionate about it, totally. right? Totally. The PR angle and starting there was so smart. The other thing that the company did early on that nowadays we might be like, yeah, this, that's super basic, duh. They ran their own newsletter. Okay. Okay. And this marketing tool was just as instrumental in the brand's success as its early PR push. The newsletter would share like online dating insights from staff and members. It would dive into like super taboo topics like cyber sex to like more basic like 101 content like crafting the perfect profile or what to do on a first date. And it was content marketing. Brands need to understand that selling a product isn't just always about selling the product directly. Like it's about building brand loyalty and becoming a part of the consumer's home. And that's what Match did. Yeah. And they educated. Well, you know, we're HubSpot certified over here and we push that flywheel. I mean, you have to, you can't just attract them. Like no, you, you gotta have delight to them delight and them and them. constantly like keep them engaged and happy. Totally. And in researching this, I was kind of thinking like, I wonder when content marketing started. Because I started writing a sentence saying, this was early content marketing. I Googled it. 
Content marketing became way popular in 1912. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, we knew that in Bridgerton because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why does everything go back to Bridgerton? When I is season that. two coming out, I by the way? I don't know, but I just... I don't know if you knew, but he... He's not going to be in it, I know. But it's okay because they said it's going to be like all these different love stories they follow. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to but see. But there, he's got to come back and make some appearances. There's yeah. no way. I know. He's just such a sex pot. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Okay. Back to the newsletter. Okay. It's a way less sexy topic <laughs> than Bridgerton. In the newsletter, there was also this advice column that was penned by the head of PR, Trish. And she said they would get a ton of basic questions from early members because, like, there was no known protocol. Like, when is it okay to not answer a message? How long do we wait to go face-to-face? Or can we talk on the phone? And also, if we talk on the phone, is it okay to send an email after we've already talked on the phone? Like, no one knew what what to do. So crazy. It was stressful. And so Match.com helped formulate these early rules of online dating. And by doing that, it became the authoritative figure to its customers. I mean, people trusted Match. And this was 100% due to its marketing. Oh, I bet. That they built this trust. It's early marketing. So by the end of 1996, Match had more than 100,000 users. The world was getting a little more comfortable with online dating. And then in 1998, a few pop culture happenings occurred that pushed Match.com way more into the norm by shifting how consumers viewed online dating. Wait, Match started in 95. Wow, okay. So there was a movie that came out in 1998. Do you have any guess what movie it might be that might have changed perceptions? You've Got Mail? Damn it, I didn't want you to guess it, but you did. And that's so funny. (gasps) I know. And I'm like not a movie buff. (gasps) Yes. Good job. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. What is going on with you? Is it infidelity if you're involved with someone on email? This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Have you had sex? Of course not. I don't even know her. Mm, I mean cyber sex. No. Well, don't do it. The minute you do, they lose all respect for you. So yes, I mean, You've Got Mail like really changed how online dating was perceived. It changed the perception of who was doing it. I mean, if you could meet someone like Meg Ryan or Tom Hanks, like online, I mean, come on, heck, why not, right? Oh, Meg Ryan. How romantic that movie, the bookstore going out of business and the, I love that movie. Now I got to watch it. I know. Also, in 1998, there was another cultural phenomenon that really changed the way people thought about dating. I've been dating since I was 15. I'm exhausted. Where is he? Who, the white knight? What do you do for work? I'm sort of a sexual anthropologist. I write a column called Sex and City. Sex in the City. Yeah, so Sex in the City was so instrumental for Match, not initially because in 98, it was just in the U.S. And of course, I mean, yes, the U.S. was becoming more into online dating because of You Got Mail and because of this. But really, later in like 99 and the early 2000s, when Match.com was like, what is going on? All of a sudden, they were seeing adoption for their, like their model in other countries. And they realized it was due to the syndication of Sex in the City in these countries. So they got really smart and they started following that. And okay. they would like actually do marketing 
behind the syndication. So they would like track where the syndication's going and then do a big marketing push in that country. Because did Sex in the City, it was just talking about how dating was so hard, right? It wasn't really promoting Match. No, there was actually, there was no mention of Match.com at all in it, but like that wasn't relevant. What was relevant was it made the like American style of dating more popular and acceptable in other countries. I read something about like, especially in the UK at early at this time, even when the US was kind of on board with it, it was like not acceptable in the UK to To do online online. dating. It just like wasn't a thing. And this was part of what kind of changed the world. So the US kind of changed first and the world changed second. And Sex and the City and You Got Mail were like huge in that. Wow. Yeah. So at this point, it really seemed like the world was ready for match. I mean, this is where the fun begins for us because it's now the 2000, the year is 2000. We're five years after match's initial launch and it's huge PR push. And now we're going to go through some of the best and worst marketing moments for match. By this time, the company has traded hands to like quite a few different owners. It's not public yet, but it's big and they have big budgets. So We often, with big budgets, can get really amazing creative work. Sometimes, though, we may get some, like, pretty big mistakes, too. Ah, yeah. You know, so let's dive in. So in 2000, Match partnered up with Princess Cruises in a multi-day millennial Valentine's celebration in Fort Lauderdale. And millennial meaning the millennium, not like millennials, because that wasn't really a thing in 2000, was it? Yeah, I don't think so. No, yeah. So apparently, lots of other romantic icons of that era were also on board, like romance novel cover Fabio, Love love Boat star Gavin McLeod. I don't know him. McLeod? McLeod? Someone's going to make fun of me that I don't know who that guy is. but I don't remember Love Boat. And dating game host Jim Lang. This was a big promotion for the cruise line's newest ship called the Ocean Princess. So apparently, like, men were running around dressed up like Cupid, shooting pretend arrows, and there were 50 couples on board who were connected on match, but had never met in person. But then you're on a week-long boat with them? Well, no, the ship didn't actually go anywhere. It was like a stunt. Okay. So this was the first place they were supposed to be introduced for the very first time, and it was billed as the world's largest floating first date. What a great stunt, right? How fun. I know. So it would, quote unquote, sail away on Valentine's Day Eve. How romantic. But in reality, it was a cruise to nowhere. It actually was like reserved for 150 consumer press outlets and VIPs. And of course, like the 50 blindfolded couples. So the women wore evening gowns and the men wore tuxedos. And each couple carried a sign with a number. And of course, their match would have like the same number. And the couples removed their blindfolds, saw their partners for the first time, and embraced. How fun! So the couples, like, wrote in to be able to do this, and they received an all-expense-paid trip, including airfare and two nights' accommodations on the Ocean Princess after submitting a 200-word essay on why they wanted to meet following months of correspondence and phone calls. So, so I thought that cool. was cool. But this, so I'm, I'm assuming that, like, the gift they got was, like, for a different voyage because, like, this was just a stunt that happened. Yeah. So after the Ocean Princess returned to port on Valentine's Day, there were tons of reporters who interviewed the couples. And the couples ranged from ages like 20s to 70s. So they did a really good job picking a diverse audience to make sure they like... What if you were like one of the 20-year-olds and you saw it and your match was 75? (laughs) They would never do that, no. (laughs) Or you thought it, you're like, what? Yeah, no, that'd be crazy. It was like a total success for the brand who by this point had... 3.1 million members after five years. 
Okay. Wow. Yeah. The ship didn't get the shaft either. I mean, it got more press for this new ship than anyone prior because of this partnership, you yeah, know? And it brilliant. was so fun. I love the stunt. I thought it was a great idea. So that's a winner. The next one, we're going to jump up to 2014. So to promote its new socials events, and specifically an event called Bark in the Park that was happening in April 2014, Match.com unveiled a barketing campaign to attract the attention of passerbys and their dogs. So Bark in the Park was a dating event designed to give single dog owners the chance to meet each other. So Match.com socials like were a new thing and they were activity-based dating events. I kind of envision like events and adventures, you know, but like maybe more low-key. And they wanted to like bring like-minded people together through activities based on their shared interest. The coolest part about how they marketed this was they put posters with details of the event placed all around London's Battersea Park. And they had posters for like the humans and then they had posters at dog level, like eye level. And they were scented with beefy dog food aroma to make them irresistible to the dogs. Oh my God. Like a scratch and sniff. <laughs> yes. How oh my gosh, cool. that actually for AZ Pet Vet, you should think yes. About that. And well, I was gonna say that's brilliant because we do all that stuff around color science and like how colors evoke certain emotions, but smells really evoke oh, yeah. emotions. Oh, I want to do a campaign I know. that's like a scratch and sniff. I loved it. I thought it was so cute. It got so much press. I mean, oh my god, insane how fun! Press. Yeah. Also in 2014 and in London. The other one was in London too. In case I didn't say, I don't know why Match does all their cool suns in London. None of the cool suns are in the U.S. Maybe, that's weird. I know. So anyways, in London 2014, Match.com launched a series of aphrodisiac dining events. Ooh. So these pop-up events were based around menus featuring supposedly aphrodisiac ingredients designed to get singles in the mood for meeting potential dates. The locations were secret and were revealed to members 48 hours before the event. So to get attention for this new event series, daters were invited to test an aphrodisiac menu free of charge at a temporary aphrodisiac cafe in London's Soho Square. So the events were like created following research by Match.com that identified that bad table manners and poor dinner date decorum is most likely to prevent a second date. Oh my God, of course. So they were like, how do we make probably these men figure out how to have better manners? Let's like do some sexy dinners. Fun. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I'm getting like a ton of cool ideas. I know. That's why I love this because I'm telling you, like it's so fun to see what brands have done the good and the bad because it does inspire you. It's so Yes, fun. I know. I'm pumped. Okay, this one. In 2016, Match.com unveiled this new advertising campaign. Alexis, let me just pull this see up it. for you. Can you describe that ad if you can see it from where you're sitting? Oh, that's interesting. What does it say? Get three days free at Match.com, and it's a girl that has, I can't tell if it's acne or freckles. It's freckles. Oh, it's freckles. And it says, if you don't like your imperfections, someone else will. What's your your first take of that ad? I like the messaging, but the creative is way off. Like, it does not entice you to want to, like, feel comfortable dating. It's not something I would stop and, I don't know, just kind of odd. Yeah, so... These ads were all around London, and it does feature this, like, freckly red-headed woman with a caption, like you said, if you don't like your imperfections, someone else will. And people were pissed. And I'm pissed, too. I have a ton of freckles. I like freckles. Also, this it's a redhead. Yeah. You, can, you couldn't see from where you're sitting. But, like, I have two redheads, okay? And they're beautiful. Two redheaded children. 
And people were pissed because this campaign literally made it seem like red hair and freckles were imperfections. And this wasn't the only ad in the series. There were other ads that were like pointing out people's imperfections like as kind of like a joke. But this was the only one that targeted on someone's looks. Yeah. No, it should be more about like I'm a total – I'm so clumsy. Yeah. So it would be really funny if like I was falling over and someone picked me up and we fell in love. Yes. See? (laughs) But like people were so pissed. Immediately this campaign came under a major social media firestorm, which of course like made it get tons of negative press. So Match.com removed the ads and they apologized like clearly. But and they they did come out and say they didn't mean like red hair and freckles as an imperfection. They just meant like. Well, any imperfections. And I think there's, you know, people have insecurities around freckles and red hair. So which is stupid that they would have done that because. Exactly. Yeah. So that did not go so well for them. (laughs) In 2016, Match.com uncovered some interesting research. They found that 73% of British singles admitted that alcohol makes a date easier. Duh. Duh. Like every, that's just. A date or everything. Like everything easier, (laughs) but especially a date. So the company decided it wanted to encourage sober sex. (laughs) So it installed the world's first breathalyzer-activated condom machine in a London pub. (laughs) This is why they do everything in London, because they can do crazy stuff like this. It is so funny. So this was intended to prevent you from making any debatable decisions when you're drunk. And of course, it got so much press. Like, it was so funny. The picture, I'll definitely post it. It's like this like condom machine that like you you blow into and like if you succeed and you're sober a condom pops out oh my god yeah because back then there were condom machines right yeah I think aren't there still I don't even get like dirty truck stops there's like the glow in the dark ones <laughs> I'm not I don't know I must not be cool enough well to know. every time I go to the bathroom and my kids think it's like a dispenser for candy and because it has like the glow in the dark or the lights or whatever and they're like mom can we get a candy I'm like no and it's like the studded light up condom that's pleasure (laughs) intensified I'm like okay let's go oh my god okay another one in 2017 match.com launched another pop-up shop in London what the fuck match come on bring it to the U.S. and this was called model males m-a-l-e-s okay and it was stocked with 3d printed bachelors from the site So like you would go 3D shopping, like you said at the top of the episode, and pick your match. So women were invited to visit the pop-up shop to check out the 3D printed action figures, which were all modeled on real life members on Match.com. How cool. So the profile information from each Match.com member was printed on the figurines box, showing their name, age, occupation, and of course, their best qualities. Oh my God. So like I'm envisioning a QR code. You could scan it and then you could be taken to your real life match and oh meet them. Oh my God, how hilarious. And like women were given a glass of Prosecco just to peruse and shop for their mate. Oh my God, I, I love that. I think it's important to say that in the beginning, match really was like meant for a man and a woman, you know, and they didn't say they had anything against same sex like couples. They just, they built the platform for like a traditional, you know, man and woman relationship. Yeah. But they did say early on, they did have like men seeking men, women seeking women, but it was in the nineties, it was a much lower percentage and it is higher today, but like there's platforms just for that. For that and yeah. I just think like those have become more popular. Yeah. One thing I think is crazy because we've been obviously the world we live in, but like that shopping experience, it seems so cool, but I feel like if it was reversed and men were shopping for women, oh, dolls like so that, yeah. it would like 
people would freak out, which I, I think is so crazy. I also don't even think this was in 2017. I'm not sure they could do that in 21. No. Like even women shopping for men. I mean, and that was just four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I think, it, well, it's super creative. Yeah. That was cool. Then Match did get in a little bit of trouble in 2019 when the FTC came down on the Match Group, which I'll explain later who the Match Group is, for deceptive marketing practices. Hmm. So the FTC alleges that Match placed fake love interest ads on its site to trick consumers using the site's free accounts into buying subscriptions. But Match denies the claims and they say the FTC got it wrong. And it looks from the research that the Department of Justice has closed the investigation into that complaint. So I haven't seen if it was settled or what. The big thing was Match, basically they were claiming that the free accounts, Match was using phishing basically to like get them to sign up. And it was fake accounts that they were like doing it with, which I don't know how they proved that, but interesting tactic there, right? Yeah. Now our last campaign and my favorite one. This launched in 2020. So what you need to know before I talk about this one is Ryan Reynolds, my favorite actor, marketer, comedian, hot dad, (laughs) joined the board of directors for Match Group in 2020. And then his agency at the time, Maximum Effort, which if you heard the news this week, he just sold it. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed, I know. Got involved and they produced what is definitely my favorite match commercial and might even be me like my favorite commercial. Oh, this is the (gasps) devil what? Yes. Oh, I love this. Okay, so I'm going to play this for you, Lex. Satan. Hi. Two zero. Two zero. Please. Call me 2020. So where are you from? Oh. Me too. The commercial is called Match Made in Hell, and it starts with Satan. He's sitting, just bored, scrolling on his phone, and he gets a notification that he is matched with a love interest. (laughs) He perks up. He's like, okay. And then you see Satan waiting under a bridge. It's raining outside. It just looks like not a good day. And a woman walks like up to him, and it's his match. And it's love at first sight. And she introduced herself, and her name is 2020. And they both find out that they're from a little place called hell. Because we know 2020 was the year from hell. So you see them going on a series of dates. Like, they have a picnic in an abandoned stadium. Like, obviously, due to the pandemic, like, no one's there. They're just, like, enjoying on the field, like, VIPs. They're alone working out in an empty gym. They're raiding a store of all the toilet paper, like throwing it around laughing, like setting a dumpster on fire, like a dumpster fire Fire. that the year was. And the spot ends with Satan cozying up next to 2020 on like an urban riverside park bench and asteroids are like hurtling towards the cityscape. And he says to her, I just don't want this year to end. (laughs) And then the spot wraps up with like a final message from Match and it says, make 2021 your year. 2020 is already taken. <laughs> that was, I mean, whoever wrote that spot, obviously, it was brilliant. so good. And it like, it broke the internet. I mean, that was like the most popular commercial. I mean, I it, it just got so much amazing traction, so much press. It was so good. All in all, I mean, we've come a long way from where online dating started in 1995 to today. Like it is the most common way that American couples meet. Even before social distancing, like related spikes in dating apps like happened, it was still the most common way people were meeting. 
You know what's so weird though? Because we were talking the other night with Nick and, you know, he's, not, I mean, he's newly single. Like he's a year newly or two. single. Yeah. But it's funny because like our age group, he was like kind of hesitant. Like, I really just want to meet someone organically. Should I do this? I'm like, you know, that's like the way to meet people now. And it's actually kind of cool because you kind of skip, you get to know that person way quicker because you share similar interests. Yeah. But the 20 somethings, they're like, they don't even think twice. That's like their thing, well, right? It's true. If you think about the probability of randomly being in a place and meeting someone in that place who also happens to be single, who you're attracted to, who's normal and not a fucking weirdo. Like the probability of that working out versus using science and data online to find someone who might be a good fit for you. Like, I mean, it makes sense. It's, it totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little hard like as a romantic, you want to like be in love with the idea of like love like at first sight yeah. and like love at first sight. But I mean, it's kind of BS. Yeah. Someone changed my mind on that. But did you know that Match.com or technically its parent company, The Match Group, now owns and operates the largest global portfolio of popular online dating services? Wow. No. So they formed The Match Group in 08. And today the portfolio includes Tinder, Match, Meetic, Okay, Cupid, Hinge, Plenty of Fish, Our Time, and 45 others. Wow. The only one it doesn't own that it should own is Bumble, and there's a long history there. In 2019, Match Group had over $2 billion in annual revenue and had over 11.1 million subscribers. Wow. So basically, they control 25% of the entire online dating market. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. That revenue is insane. Because yeah. think about how much you have to pay for some of these things. They're re- subscription And some based. are free, but they still like, like matches where the subscriptions are where most of the revenue comes yeah. from. Yeah. So remember that original founder, Gary Kremen, who I talked about? Yeah. Okay. He left or was pushed out, it's a bit unclear, of the company just one year after it was founded in 1996, apparently for butting heads with some of the company's investors. And supposedly he only walked away with $50,000. Do you know how probably pissed he is right now? Oh my gosh. And now it's worth how many billions? I mean, a lot of billions. So yeah, I mean, Lex, like, what do you think? Love this episode. I'm like so pumped. We have some top secret stuff we're working on. So I got some good ideas. Yeah. I mean, what I really like loved was that I thought it was cool how Match's go-to market strategy like was really anchored in that content marketing education and like becoming a thought leader and expert. Like it didn't, I think if it had tried these stunts that like didn't hit till 2015 and above, I don't think it would have been taken as seriously or would have like basically like it wouldn't have had the adoption basically that led to it sticking power. No, I agree. I think it needed to be like- needed education because it was so new. Totally. I think sometimes when they create, I mean, it's a new phenomenon of dating online. You have to educate educate first. You can't like try to be all like crazy- coming out with stunts out of the gate. Like, I mean, I don't think, I just don't think it would have worked as well. So, so yes. Okay. Let's talk about some of our sources. This was a doozy to research. So I'm only going to name a few of the main sources. So please check the show notes at willitstickpodcast.com to see all of them. The Fast Company article by Stephen Melendez from 2015 titled How Match.com Has Helped Us Hook Up and Find Love Since 1995 was such a great detailed read. I highly recommend it. Uh, FamousCampaigns.com covered a bunch of those London-based Match.com stunts. So if you just search their site for Match.com, like they'll all come up. And then Wikipedia's entry for Match.com and the Match group were super, super helpful. 
Awesome. Well, I loved it. So we hope you guys will leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please subscribe at willitstickpodcast.com or Apple Podcasts. Have an awesome day. Bye. Bye. Thanks.